right, good morning. Well, I'll tell you what, that, that song, Amazing Grace, is a, a blessing to be able to sing. And whether you're here and you're just exploding with joy and able to sing that song, like, God, your grace is really amazing, or if you're just here barely surviving and you're singing, I want your grace to be amazing, I'm glad you're here. Uh, and if you're a visitor with us, uh, we're not flashy. I, I hope you feel like we're family, though. Welcome home. And today we are going to continue through the book of Luke. Our favorite way to study the Bible together is to walk through whole books of the Bible. So we've been walking through the book of Luke for some time now. We're in Luke chapter 15. And so if you go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15, if you've got one of our Bibles, it's on page 969. And if you don't have a Bible at home or if you need a new Bible, please take one of ours with you. This is our, our Christmas gift to you. But we're going to be focusing on Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, a very popular passage. It's a passage, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard of the prodigal son. It's referred to often in our day. And uh, this passage, I think we often treat it like a Hallmark movie. And really, up until this past week, if you've been following the news, Hallmark has pretty much stayed out of controversy altogether. And we're not going to talk about the controversy they're in right now, but they do that intentionally. In fact, their Christmas movies have really nothing to do with Christ. If you've ever watched them, they're spirited, but they're not spiritual. And they do that intentionally because Hallmark is really just an extension of their, their greeting card business. And if you've ever read a Hallmark greeting card, you know that they're really good at having a lot of words that say really nothing. <laughs> because they're trying to advertise and they're trying to market to a really large crowd. And so that's just the nature of the business that they're in. And so we treat this parable often, though, as simply a really good feel-good message. Uh, it's about forgiveness, right? And the title that we typically give it, The Prodigal Son, is really actually kind of telling. Because most of the time, we, we think about this passage as this story about this uh, young boy who rebels, uh, runs away from home, realizes that life is a little bit harder than he thought it was going to be, and so he ends up coming back home and asking for his father's forgiveness, and everybody reunites, and it ends on a happy note. It's a, it's a tearjerker. Uh, we like that kind of story. It's a Hallmark movie kind of story, but that's not what this passage is really about. In fact, it's actually much better than that. It seems like the more popular a passage is in Scripture, the more often we misunderstand it. And that is very much the case with this passage today. And so to understand this passage, of course, you've got to know the context. Context is always King, And so first you have to ask the question, okay, who is Jesus talking to? If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, if you were here last week, we talked about this. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with, eats with them. And so it was the response to the Pharisees grumbling at Jesus that you're hanging out with these sinners, these tax collectors. They're grumbling at Jesus. And so Jesus responds by sharing these three parables in chapter 15. We talked about the two parables, the first two parables last week, the, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And both of those parables 
were about how we naturally rejoice when we find something that's valuable to us that we thought was lost and we find it, we naturally rejoice. And so Jesus ends both of those parables by saying there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, one who was lost, who is now found. And so he was talking to the Pharisees and encouraging them, look, you should be celebrating that the sinners and the tax collectors are being drawn to me. You shouldn't be grumbling about that. And so those two parables really serve to set up this parable. Everything's leading up to this parable right here. And so if the, if the Pharisees haven't got the picture yet, Jesus is going to try to make it crystal clear through this parable. And so let's pray one more time, and then we'll dive into chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Father, we desperately need your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts, to see where we are lost, to see where we are in need of your amazing grace and your love. And I pray that through this passage, the lost would be found, the dead would be risen to new life in you, that our hearts would be transformed for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Pick up in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this is my son who was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, and he heard the music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. 
His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Well, this parable, it starts with an attention grabber. If you were there in that moment, you would have been shocked. The younger brother goes to his dad and he says, Father, I want my inheritance now. And being the younger of two sons, he would have received a third of the property. Okay, so back then the oldest child, the oldest son, would receive a double portion. And so if there's two, two sons, the oldest would get two-thirds, the youngest would get one-third. And so he's essentially asking for a third of the father's property. And that would have been unheard of because you don't get that until your father dies. That would have been a huge slap in the face. That, that, he's essentially saying to his father, you're dead to me. In fact, I don't really want you. I just want your stuff. The only really, the real re- reason I've got a relationship with you, dad, is just because it's a means to an end. It's a hu- there, there is nothing that this child could do to be more insulting than to ask for his inheritance before his father Passes away. This would have been a huge shock to the people that were listening. It would have got their attention. But what Jesus said next would have been even more shocking. The fact that the father says yes. Because the, the proper response for that father in that day would have been to say, no, are you crazy? In fact, not only no, you will not get your inheritance. You will never see your inheritance. In fact, you, you think you want to treat me as I'm dead? Okay. You can leave. Good luck on your own. You are dead to me. That would have been the proper response. But instead, the father agrees. He gives his son his portion of the inheritance. And so, he, of course, the son goes and he squanders all of his money on reckless living. Eventually, he runs out of money. There's a famine. And so he finds himself in the lowest of low places. He, he has to find the worst job ever back then. He goes out and he has to feed pigs. And it's so bad that he's, he's starving to the point where he wants to eat the pig food. And so pigs are, as a Jew, pigs are unclean animals. The Pharisees would have looked at this as like, this is, the rock, this is below rock bottom. This is the lowest of low. You can't get lower than this in their minds. And so eventually the text says that he comes to himself or, or he comes to his senses. And that's a Hebrew expression that meant he repented. He had a change of mind, and so he comes up with this game plan to go back home and plead with his father and say, look, I, I, I'm not worthy to be your son. Would you hire me as one of your servants? And it was good that he recognized that he wasn't worthy to be called his son anymore, so he goes back home, and while he was still a long ways off, his father sees him, and what does he do? He runs again. This would be unheard of. A man back then did not, because you'd have to lift up your robes, your ankles would show, and you don't run. As a man, you did not run places. 
totally socially unacceptable. But that's what the father does. The father sees him, feels compassion. He runs, he embraces him. It literally means he fell on his neck and kisses him. The father's so eager to see the boy that he, he doesn't even let the boy finish his prepared speech. Did you notice that? Cuts him off, tells the servant, come, go grab the best robe that we have. It would have been his robe. Go bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger, which was a, a symbol of authority that he was giving his son. Put shoes on or sandals on his feet. And that, that, was, a, uh, that was a huge gift. Servants don't wear sandals. And so he was making it very clear, the father was making it very clear that this is his son. This is not a servant. This is my son. I'm accepting him back into the family fully. And then he goes and does the unimaginable. Kill the fatted calf. All right, back then, meat was not a regular thing that you ate. You didn't have meat with every meal. Meat was a delicacy, and the most expensive, the, the, the best kind of meat was the calf. And this wasn't just any calf. This was the fat, fattened calf. This was a calf that was reserved for only the most special occasions. In fact, a private dinner party, would not have, they would not have killed the fattened calf. This was a, a celebration that they would invite the whole town to. The whole village would be invited we're killing the, the, the fatted calf. We're going to have a feast and celebrate. And it was the killing of the fatted calf that set off the older brother. Uh, the older brother, he's the responsible one, right? He's the one that always does the right thing. In fact, he was working so hard, he was out in the field so long that the invitations had already gone out, the party had already started. He comes back, he's wondering what's going on. And he hears his brother has come home. His dad's killed the fatted calf. And what does he do? He refuses to go in the party. I'm not going in there. And so what does the father do? The father leaves the party. The father goes after him. He pursues the older son. He entreats him. He pleads with him. Come on in. And the older son complains. He's like, look. Doesn't even say father. He's just like, look, you. I've never disobeyed you. I've served you for all of these years and you've never even killed a baby goat for me and my friends to have a party. And you killed the calf, Dad? And at the end of the parable, the father explains himself. He says, son, notice how he still has respect and love for his child. He says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And that was literally true, okay? He had already given away a third of his property to the younger son, so everything else would be his. Everything I have is yours. For your brother was dead, and it is, he is alive. It's fitting for us to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is found. And that's it. He ends it there. Does the brother go into the party? Do they reunite? Is it, is it a happily ever after kind of ending? Jesus doesn't say. It's a cliffhanger. Why? Why does he do that? What is he saying here? There's a reason for that. Well, there's a couple rules of interpretation that are really helpful for you to know as you're interpreting a parable. Okay, so a parable is a short story with typically one main point. And to figure out what that one main point, you need to look at a couple things. First of all, you always pay attention to, it's called the rule of direct dialogue. Okay, so pay attention to where's the longest conversation. And in this situation, what's the longest conversation? 
It's actually between the father and the older son, the one that refused to go to the party. And the second rule that's really important is the, the rule of end importance. Uh, what comes at the end of the story is usually the most important. There's usually a punchline at the end of the parable that tells you what the meaning is. And so what's at the end of this parable? Again, it's the conversation between the older son and the father. And so it's ironic, isn't it, that the younger son is typically the one that gets all the publicity for this story, right? He's not the main point, though. It's the older son that at the end of the story who's lost. It's not the younger son. It's the, it's the older son that's lost. The parable is meant to open up the eyes of the Pharisees who were grumbling about Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. And so the, the parable starts with the stereotypical sinner, right? The younger brother is the, the stereotypically, he, he's reckless, he's a rebel, he's a recluse, he insults his father, he runs away, he wastes his money on prostitutes, uh, ends up destitute, down in a pigsty. When you think of a sinner, that's typically what we think of, right? That's what we envision. But the second part of the parable, Jesus throws a huge plot twist in it. And he flips upside down everything that we think that we know about God and everything we think we know about sin. The older son is the stereotypical golden boy, right? This is, represents the Pharisees, right? He's a hard worker. He's obedient. Always does what's right. And yet, in the end... He's just as estranged from the father as the younger brother. Why? Well, the, the older brother's anger and jealousy reveal something of his heart. He really doesn't care about his father. Just like the younger brother, actually, at the beginning of the story, he really doesn't care about his father anymore. He really just wants his father's stuff. He's just going about getting it in a different way. You see, both have been using the father to get the things they really want, the father's wealth and the father's status. One's been doing it by being very bad. The other one's been doing it by trying to be very good. The younger son tries to get control of his father's wealth by being disobedient. The, other, the older son tries to control his father's things by being obedient. The younger son tries to get his father's wealth basically by stealing it and running away. The older son tries to get his father's wealth by staying and obeying. And so one son is obviously on the naughty list. The other son seems to be on the nice list, right? But both are alienated from the father. Both lack a real relationship with him. Both are completely lost. And so Jesus is teaching in this parable that there's two types of lostness. Yes, you've got the traditional lostness, the, the rebellious lostness, the, the self-indulgent lostness, but there's, there's another lostness that may be even more dangerous. Yeah, the younger brother was lost in his badness, but the older brother, he was lost in his goodness. And that second, time, that second type of lostness, it's dangerous because it, it's, often it's hidden for a long time. Everything on the outside seems good. But inwardly, his heart is far from God. And if we're not careful, Mercy Hill, as a church, the church can actually become a breeding ground for that second type of lostness. When we teach our kids morality and to act with proper 
manners, and yet we fail to help them see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Or when we turn Christmas time into an ex- extravagant time of giving gifts to show our love to one another, but yet we fail to look at or to point to the ultimate gift, Jesus Christ. Or when we cling to tradition for tradition's sake instead of clinging to Jesus. Or when we value head knowledge above heart change. When we care more about our outward appearance and what others think of us than we do about our inward heart towards God. Or when we focus on our behaviors more than the motivation behind the behaviors. See, the older son's heart was revealed in his anger and in his jealousy. And often this is where our hearts are revealed too. I, one of the reasons God allows us to go through hard times, to go through trials, is because it reveals our hearts. You ought to pay attention to your emotions. When you experience anger and jealousy, especially, when, when we are jealous of God's grace towards other people, that speaks volumes about our own heart. When we're angry because we think God owes us something, it says something about our own heart. And if I'm honest, I see in my own heart at times a much greater desire for the gifts of God rather than God himself. I can be just like the two lost sons. And, and I would never say it out loud, but I know in my heart I'm saying, yes, God, I like you, but what I really want is a successful ministry or a healthy marriage or my kids to be a success and obedient. And so I'm going to work really hard for you, Lord, not really because I love you, but because I love what you can give me. And I've seen that play out, uh, especially with my kids, and maybe some of you have even felt it, where I get frustrated when I see somebody who I don't think is being committed enough. And it turns into frustration or even anger. And so if you've felt that from me, I'm sorry. Uh, That's something I need to apologize to my kids even. I can have the same heart as that older brother, just as lost. So what about you? What about you? Do you ever find yourself wanting the gifts of God more than God? Do you ever want God to give you something more than you want God to give him himself, give you himself? Do you you ever find yourself serving God not primarily because you love him but because you want something from him? Or do you ever find yourself being obedient to God not primarily out of a love for him but because you want his blessing? You want him to give you a good life now? Well, the good news of this parable is that God loves both sons dearly. The father, of course, represents God, right? He's, he's actually the main character in this story. And notice how gracious the father is to both of the lost sons. With the younger son, of course, he, he runs to him when he sees him far off. He welcomes him back into his family. He dismisses any idea that he would become a servant. He 
clothes him. He puts his best robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He kills the fatted calf, invites the whole town to come and celebrate that he's come back. But notice how compassionate he is with the older son too. He leaves the party, pursues the older son. He entreats him, come, join the celebration, and let's rejoice together. He listens to the older son's complaints, and he responds with grace. He says, I'm always with you. He says, everything that I have is yours. And so come, it's fitting to celebrate. Your, Your brother was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. And so the the application here is simple. Where do you fit in the story? Which brother do you tend to be like? If you're a younger brother, the application is come home and embrace God's grace. Stop living recklessly. The little decisions you make make a huge difference. Don't think that you can repay God for your wrongs. It doesn't work that way. Christ has already done everything that's required. And so this is huge. You don't need to get cleaned up completely to come to God. Um, The younger son didn't find the perfect job before he went home. He wasn't self-sufficient. He recognized that he needed his heavenly father. And so he ran back. And the good news is that God the Father is waiting with his arms wide open for you. And he will celebrate your homecoming. And he will invite all of heaven to celebrate with him. If you're an older brother, the application is really very similar. Come home and enjoy God's grace. Come home and enjoy God's grace. Stop trying to earn God's love and blessing. Don't be jealous of God's grace towards others. Recognize you are just as lost as your your younger brother. Join the party. Obey God, not to get God's stuff, but simply because you love him. You want to enjoy him. And you delight in being like him. And so we're about to enter into a time of communion. And we encourage anybody that's a believer to join us in this celebration. Uh, This is kind of an invite to the party, right? We celebrate this together. And communion should be a reminder of what it cost for Jesus to bring us home, right? Forgiveness is always cost. It it always comes with a price. Uh, In today's parable, the older brother should have pursued the younger brother. The older brother should have left home and brought the younger brother back at his own expense. But he doesn't do that. Uh, Tim Keller in this book, The Prodigal God, which I love the name of that because he, he looks at this story and he realizes how radical God's love is. And, and the word prodigal just really means to, uh, to be extravagant, to be almost reckless. And God's love seems reckless in this story. And in this book, he, he talks about the elder brother that we really need, the elder brother 
of Jesus. And he says this, think of the, the kind of brother we need. We need the one who does not just go to the next country to find us, but who will come all the way from heaven to earth. We need one who is willing to pay not just a finite amount of money, but at the infinite cost of his own life to bring us into God's family. For our debt is so much greater. Either as elder brother or as younger brothers, we have rebelled against the Father. And we deserve alienation, isolation, and rejection. The point of the parable is that forgiveness always involves a price. Someone has to pay. There was no way for the younger brother to return to the family unless the older brother bore the cost himself. The true elder brother paid our debt on the cross in our place. There Jesus was stripped naked of his robe and dignity so that we could be clothed with the dignity and standing we don't deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we could be brought into, his, into God's family freely by grace. And there, Jesus drank the cup of eternal justice so that we might have the cup of the Father's joy. There was no other way for the Heavenly Father to bring us in except at the expense of our true elder brother. How can the inner workings of the heart be changed from a dramatic or for, from a dynamic of fear and anger to that of love and joy and gratitude? Here's how. You need to be moved by the sight of what it cost to bring you home. And so Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He takes the cup and he says, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is done in remembrance and so I would encourage you, if you are a believer, would you celebrate this feast with us? If you've got questions about salvation, about what it means to be part of this church family, don't leave today until you get those questions answered. And maybe today, God is working in your heart and you recognize that you've been running from God and he's calling you back and you want to turn in repentance towards him and trust him as your savior and follow him as your Lord, I would love to celebrate. God wants to party for all of eternity with you. And so I'll be in the back. If you need prayer, if you'd like to pray with me, uh, don't hesitate, hesitate to come back there during communion or during the songs. Uh, this is also a time for us to give joyfully and sacrificially because we have been given so much your visitor don't feel obligated uh, but during this time I'm going to pray right now and then uh, you'll come either to the front or to the back and then after everybody's gone through the line we're going to stand we're going to rejoice and celebrate together you pray with me father once again I, I come to you and I, I thank you so much for this story for the parable that you have given us that we have passed down for for 2,000 years now that gives us great hope and is a reminder of the love that you have towards us. And I pray that we would turn back towards you and that we would embrace your grace and we would enjoy your grace. And we would worship you because you are worthy of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as God is calling you to respond.